As it is a custom in this church, we're going to stand up. I'm going to open up immediately with the words so that we can dive into the text. So if you can quickly just stand up for me. I also want to ask you guys, you don't know how it turns my stomach when your phone goes off. Like there's a knot that happens in my stomach. Right? Like I, you know, I wish it was a video game and I could just zoom, zap you. So a lot of you right now think that your phones are off, but they're not off. There it is. <laughs> so before I get started and I get in the flow and you know, all that stuff, I just want you to really go into that phone. There's a special button on it where you can just do just that, and we don't have to hear that chime again. Amen? Praise God. We're going to read from 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 16 to 21. And uh, again, we stand because we honor and reverence God's word, so it's important for us to understand it's not for uh, Christian calisthenics. We stand because when God speaks, we want to be attentive to what it is. Amen? So it says, so we have stopped evaluating others by what the world thinks about them. Once I mistakenly thought of Christ that way as though he was merely a human being. How differently I think of him now. What this means is that those who become Christians become new persons. They are not the same anymore for the old life is gone. A new life has begun. All this newness of life is from God who brought us back to himself through what Christ did. And God has given us a task of reconciling people to him. For God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. This is the wonderful message he has given us to tell others. We are Christ's ambassadors, and God is using us to speak to you. We urge you, as though Christ himself were here pleading with you, be reconciled to God. For God made Christ, who never sinned, to be the offering for our sin, so that we could be made right with God through Christ. May God bless the reading and hearing of his word. You may be seated. God's love towards us invites us into a new life. Not a life of external makeovers, but internal transformation. It's the purpose of the finished work of God, Father, through Christ in all, for all who confess faith in Christ. It's important for us to understand that the change that we're going to talk about today, and that's the big idea, love causes change. Love causes us to change. God's love causes us to change. I, I don't do what I do in my home because it's duty. I do it because I love my family. So, so love causes us to change our behaviors, our attitude, our actions. If anything, we have learned is that love is an action. Amen? Amen. And the verses we just read were written to Paul, by Paul to the Corinthian church and addresses two very critical conditions in the life of a person who is in Christ. The first is regeneration. Another word for regeneration is rebirth. It's related to the biblical phrase, born again. 
You must be born again. It's a story of Nicodemus when he came to Jesus, having heard of what Jesus was doing and the preaching of Jesus about the kingdom of heaven. And he came to him in the guise of the night and he wanted to have a conversation. Now, Nicodemus was not a fool. Nicodemus knew about the scriptures. But there was something that the words of Christ and what Christ was doing began to move him in a particular direction. And he started to slide away from the group that he was running from. And he met with Jesus in the guise of night and asked him the question, what must I do to enter the kingdom of heaven? And Jesus simply says, you must be born again. Our rebirth is distinguished from our first birth. When we were conceived physically and inherited our sin nature, do we understand that because of the first Adam, all of us are born into this sin nature? Everyone, even a little baby, you don't have to teach a little baby. You see a two-year-old playing in the room, and all of a sudden something breaks, and you run into the room, and you say, what happened? I don't know. (laughs) You didn't have to teach that child to lie. He's born into the sin nature already. Amen? It's important for us to understand that the new birth is a spiritual, holy, and heavenly birth that results in our being made alive spiritually. Man in his natural state is dead in trespasses and sins until he is made alive, regenerated by Christ. Now, this happens when we place our faith in Christ. Now, the first Adam, we inherit this sin nature. The second Adam, we inherit this spiritual birth. And that's Jesus Christ. Ephesians 2.1 says, once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins, the way of love theory has reminded us of what does and how can we live out of the overflow of God's love for us. So this big idea today is love causes change. Not out here. Not you fixing your hair and throwing on some makeup, not putting on a new, you know, a garment, you know, but being able to allow him to get inside of you and begin to do the house cleaning that needs to happen to get us to where he wants us to be. Amen. 2 Corinthians 5, 14 and 15 says this. Whatever we do, it is because Christ's love controls us. Since we believe that Christ died for everyone, we also believe that we have all died to the old life we used to live. He died for everyone so that those who receive his new life will no longer live to please themselves. Look to your neighbor and stop, tell them, stop pleasing yourself. Come on back. Come on back. Instead, they will live to please Christ who died and was raised for them. Regeneration is a radical change. Just as our physical birth resulted in a new individual entering the earthly realm, 
Baby leaves that environment screaming, kicking, and crying. Our spiritual birth results in a new person entering the heavenly realm. Think about this. Christ selected a group of men who were without aim or purpose, living from moment to moment, wondering if they were doing enough. Catching enough fish, visiting the temple enough, waiting for their lives to change. The routine, the mundane, the pursuit of temporal pleasures. They spent their time just going through the motions. Like some of us have or may still be doing. There is a power in living in Christ. There, there is a power that happens to us. There is this transformation that takes place. That when you come to Christ, he begins to do something within you that changes you in such a way that it flows out of you. And people notice it. You start speaking a different way. You start acting a different way. You don't go to those places you used to go before. And it's not because you can. It's because you don't want to. You desire to delight in the Lord. You desire to spend time with the Lord to see what he wants you to do. Your life no longer belongs to you. So you say, Lord, here I am. Send me. Use me. And it's important for us to realize that the routine in our lives, all it does, it puts us on a treadmill. And round and round and round, that's all we do. I don't, I, listen, I don't like running on a treadmill. I, I like running and seeing things, and I don't run anymore. I don't run anymore. <laughs> That's the other pastor. Okay? <laughs> Somebody made a joke about bringing me my walker up here, and I don't know what that means. <laughs> That's it. It's all right. I'll get that person later. Amen? <laughs> but Ephesians 2.6 says this. For he raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ Jesus. Your behaviors, your attitudes, your actions, they don't line up with who you're supposed to be. That's why somebody will look at you and say, you're supposed to be a Christian. When you tilt a little to the right or to the left. I'm not going to tell you how bad you are. I want to tell you how good you can be. You know, we already know how bad we can be, right? Like left to our own devices, man, we'll wreak havoc, right? We have a vocabulary that we can draw from, right? We have behaviors that we can draw from. We have attitudes that we can utilize when we get cut off in traffic. We have those things. But in this regenerated state, what happens is Christ in us begins to transform us and change us. Uh, you know, you want to get in front of me? Go ahead. You okay? Something wrong? Can I get you a cup of coffee? You know, like, like really, that, you know, the Bible says that, that kind words turn away wrath. And I always say that you bring two buckets into every conflict that you will experience. You're either going to ignite the flames or you're going to extinguish the flames. And you got to think of people more better than yourselves because then when you go into a situation, you'll be okay coming in not to ignite it, not to try to win, but to try to reconcile, try to bring unity. It's important for us to understand that. 
After regeneration, we begin to see and hear and seek after divine things. We begin to live a life of faith and holiness. And Christ is formed in our hearts. Now we are partakers of the divine nature, having been made new. And it's God, not man, who is the source of this transformation. Some of you are in this room and you're still trying to change your spouse. And it's not working. Some of you are, are, are trying to, 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 to form your children into something that you want them to be so that you can look good. It's not working. Only Christ coming into a person's life can provoke that change in us. I, I mean, honestly, I, 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 you know, I wish I could grab some people in this room in a headlock and give them some noogies and change them. <laughs> I can't. So, 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 so I love on them. I love on them. Even when they talk about me, even when they burp me, you know the burp? Like I'm a grown man, don't burp me. You know, so, so, you know, I, I understand that that's where they are at. And if Christ met them where they are and I'm supposed to be this way of love and love is supposed to flow through me to others, then I have to meet them where they are and help them to move along this continuum in which they're no longer in their infant state but become adolescents and adults and parents eventually. That's what transformation does. God's great love is a free gift. His rich grace and abundant mercy are the cause of the rebirth, the mighty power of God. The power that raised Christ from the dead is displayed in this new birth and conversion of sinners. I want to stop there for a moment. Conversion. Not emotionalism. Not a place to hide. Someone once said that religion is the opium of the people. It's meant to keep them in a state of catatonic condition, a place where there, uh, in Spanish, we call it sanambulo, which is walking dead. Not, not your favorite show, not, not that. But, but, but just walking through life aimlessly, walking through life without purpose. So we come to this conversion moment because someone nudges us and someone tells us you must do this. And the Bible clearly states that no one comes to the Father except through Christ. And no one is drawn unto Jesus unless the Spirit of God is moving on that person's life to draw them. Now, I got to tell you something. God's megaphone is pain. He, he will get your attention. He will begin to squeeze and make your roadway narrow enough. So that at the end of the day, and low enough, so that at the end of the day, the only thing you got to do is get on your knees. Because it's the only way to get to where you need to get to. A lot of us are prideful, and we do we can come to Christ on our own terms. No, you've come to Christ out of desperation. You've come into the rooms out of desperation. You didn't come because, oh, let me check this out. Let me see if this is a new club. You've come here because Christ has begun to draw you unto himself. The situations in your life have come to the point where you're saying, I've tried everything. 
I've done everything. I've called the 888 numbers. I've tried to line up the stars. I tried to listen to Dr. Phil and Oprah and get help and all that stuff. And nothing has worked until you came to Christ. I was talking to a couple of guys the other day. I says, man, you, you put on a couple of pounds since you've been here. God is good, isn't he? And he was like, yeah. I said, man, hey, God rescued you, didn't he? Put some weight on you, man, making you look good now. I first met you, you're walking around like this. God does that. The love of God does that. Revealed through his people who, who have the unction, the, the, the desire to want others to experience that love and that change that can happen. Man, it, it's a powerful thing, this new birth. This being born again this transformation that begins to happen in our lives. How regeneration is necessary, it's not optional. For flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. Physical birth fixes us for the earth, but spiritual rebirth fixes us for heaven. Regeneration is a part of what God does for us at the moment of salvation, the minute you say yes to Jesus Christ. Regeneration is God's making a person spiritually alive prior to that. If you're in this room and you've been invited to this room, listen to me. Your life may look beautiful on the outside. But if you're living a life without Christ, if you're still trying to be the captain of your ship, I guarantee that the Titanic pales by comparison of what can happen to you without Christ. And it's so important for you to begin to understand that a relationship with Christ quickens you spiritually. You begin to be attentive to the things around the world. You begin to see what, what God's heart breaks for. You begin to stop hoarding and accumulating, and you begin to realize that it is better to give than to receive. In this church, we try to let you know that love compels you to serve. How else would this world know that our God is alive and well, and the way of love is through service. Christ himself came to serve, not to be served. So much so that when he uh, decided to, to, to wash the feet of his apostles, you know, one of them decided that, no, you don't have to wash my feet. And we know who that was, Peter. He's got a big mouth. Peter's got a big mouth. You know, he carries a blade. You know, he just, you know, I, I, maybe he was Puerto Rican. You know, I don't know. <laughs> Well, we'll delete that later. But, but he had a big mouth. He had a way of saying, no, it doesn't have to be this way. It doesn't have to be that way. No, you know, forbid me if I let something happen to you. And, and, and it was a beautiful thing because Jesus said, listen, if I can't wash your feet, you can't hang out with me. And Peter realized, well, this is the guy that told me to cast the net on the other side and I got a lot of fish. So if I'm going to hang out with anybody. I got to hang out with him. So wash all of me. Wash all of me. You see what he does? He exaggerates. I just want to wash your feet, dude. I don't want to wash all of you. Just, just wash your feet. That's what Peter did. And Christ just reminded him. And then Christ turns to him and reminds him, listen, there were a couple of things that happened with Peter that were very profound. One is when Jesus tells him, um, you're going to deny me. Right? You know, you're all gun ho about protecting me but you're going to deny me, okay? The other part was 
when Peter began to act in the way he was acting, prior to him denying him, Jesus said, listen, Satan's been asking for you. <laughs> listen to me. Satan has been asking for him, he told him, so that he can sift you out. Now, if you don't understand the sift process, it's simple this. It's, it's a farming term that when a farmer, you know, takes something and they sift it out, it, it gets rid of that which is no good. And the good stuff drops to the ground so they can pick it up and then feed it and plant it and do the whole thing again. Listen to me. There are moments of sifting in our lives to determine our new birth. There are moments that God begins to shake things up and you don't like them because they're uncomfortable. They take you out of your comfort zone. All of us like to be comfortable. None of us like being uncomfortable. I get that. But if you will begin to look at being uncomfortable as a moment where God is beginning to make a shift in your life to line you up to his will and not your will, you will accept it a lot better. It's important for us to understand regeneration is necessary. It's not optional. Regeneration is part of what God does for us at the moment of salvation. Regeneration is God's making a person spiritual alive as a result of faith in Jesus Christ prior to salvation. We were not God's children. We were not. Everybody says, oh, we're all God's children. We're all creations of God. The children is an indication of father. Father indicates obedience. Now, there are children now in the body that are obedient and disobedient. The Bible talks about sheep and goat, wheat and tear. You know where uh, Satan shows up the most every Sunday? Mm. Where do you think he shows up? Trying to pit people against each other. Trying to disband the unity. Trying to say, hey, this love for real poking you and see what you're about. In John 1, 12, 13, it says, but to all who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. They are reborn, and this is not a physical birth resulting from human passion or plan. This rebirth comes from God. So before salvation, we were degenerates. After salvation, we are regenerates. Twitter that. The result of regeneration is peace with God, new life, and eternal sonship. In Titus 3.5, it says, he saved us not because of the good things we did. Can somebody say amen to that? Amen. But because of his mercy, he washed away our sins and gave us a new life through the Holy Spirit. Some of us still believe that we got it going on because of what we've done. Again, I'm not going to tell you how bad you are. You already know that. But I want to tell you how good it can be in Christ. There is a new birth, a new life. Regeneration begins the process of what we call sanctification, wherein we become the people God intends us to be. Meets us where we are, saves us, but doesn't leave us there. And begins to take us on this, this journey 
in which, you know, you know when you travel, right, and you go to the airports and, and, you know, they start measuring your suitcase and they say take some stuff out of it, you can't, you know, it's too much, it's too much weight. That's what God begins to do because all of us come with this luggage. All of us come to Christ with luggage. And when I mean luggage, I mean emotional baggage. I mean your attitude, your actions. And, and God now says, okay, I met you where you are, and now i got to get you to where I need you to be so that you reflect my love, my power, my mercy to a hurting world. And I can't do that if you still have a bad attitude thinking that they're there in that position because that's what they deserve. They did that. God begins to deal with us. The only means of regeneration is by faith and the finished work of Christ on the cross. No amount of good works or keeping of the law can regenerate the heart. By works of the law, no human being will be justified in God's sight. There's no way that you can work hard enough to be justified, to be made right in Christ. So stop trying to work. If you have faith, you better be working. If you have faith, you better be working. And not for him to love you more, but as a direct result of your faith. You should be bearing fruit, all of you. All of you should be bearing fruit that are not hoarded up here, but in heaven. Being gentle is not something that you get unless you go to Christ. Being kind is something you don't get unless you go to Christ. Some of us don't even know how to love. We mistake love with lust. <laughs> Only Christ offers a cure for the total depravity of the human heart. We don't need renovation or reformation or reorganization. We need regeneration. That's the first condition. The second condition is this whole idea of reconciliation. Imagine two friends who have a fight or argument. The good relationship they once enjoyed is strained to the point of breaking. They cease speaking to each other. Communication is deemed too awkward. The friends gradually become strangers. Such estrangement can only be reversed by reconciliation. Two friends, awkward, I don't want to talk to you, you know, I don't want to, you know, get away from me, stay over there, your corner, my corner, don't call me, I don't call you, I think on Facebook they defriend you or something like that. Is, is that what it is? I don't know, I'm not on Facebook, I'm just, help me out here, right? You know, you go beep, and, and that's how easy it is. It's, in a, it's a little click, right? To be reconciled is to be restored to friendship or harmony. When old friends resolve their differences and restore their relationship, reconciliation has occurred. In 2 Corinthians 5, 18, 19, it declares this. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. So what are we supposed to be doing? We're supposed to be reconciling with one another, right? That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting Men's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. Pause for a moment. Remember that part that we read early on that we started this series? Love keeps no record of? Okay, only four people said that. Okay, let's. <laughs> Love keeps no records of? Wrong. That's right. 
Practice that. Practice that. Practice not keeping records of wrong. Now listen to me. A mistake that you will leave here is saying, you know, you don't know what he's done to me. You know what she's done to me. I know what I did to Christ. Okay? And I'm not saying for you to uh, practice being a doormat either. That's not what I am. I'm not a doormat. But the reason you got yourself in that situation and you allow yourself to be hurt is because you wanted to be a doormat. And now you don't like them wiping their feet on you. If you would have had boundaries from the very beginning, if you would have not slept with them the first day, maybe it would have been something different. If if, if you would have allowed yourself to learn that the person had been institutionalized five times and they are on medication that's psychotropic, if you would have had an application process if you want to come to the pastor and say, hey, can you sit down and sift this person out for me? Maybe, maybe you would be in a better situation than you are today. But that's difficult to do when you are around a people that think they know. You know, the most troublesome person in the church is a person that thinks they know. They're unteachable. Or they suddenly tell you, I've heard from God. I've heard from God, and I think I have to go to China. And when someone tells me that, I worry about it, but I say, okay. (laughs) Because who am I to say whether you've heard from God or not? I'm not going to get in the way and then you say, oh, you stopped me from doing this and God said I should have done it. I said, listen, God is not going to tell you to do something that's not in his word. He's not. He's not going to add to it. or t- You know, if God sends you, he will provide for you. He will make a way. Now, don't think it's always going to be easy because some of us want that easy road, right? You know, we don't want to stub our toe. We don't want to trip over things. We just want it to be easy, nice, smooth sailing. It doesn't work that way. There are bumps, and there are valleys, and there are bends that we don't know what's around the bend. That's why we need to slow down as we're going around the bend. It's important for us to understand that. And reconciliation does this. The Bible says that Christ reconciled us to God. The fact that we need a reconciliation means that our relationship with God was broken. And since God is holy, we are the ones to blame. It wasn't God. God didn't sever the relationship. God didn't, you know, tell Adam, here, eat. He gave him specific instructions. Just like for us. Now, people think that the Bible is a set of rules. No, listen to me. It's his story so that you can see who he is. And those who honor me, I will honor them. Those who seek me will find me. It's important for us to understand how he pursued his people despite the fact that they became idolaters. The fact the fact that they said, I don't want you, I want this. God still loved them. But love causes change. They, they, they had to begin to smash their idols and begin to put them away. They had to begin to keep their eyes focused on him 
They had to begin to spend time with him. How can you be in a relationship with someone and not spend time with them? Listen, love is a tricky thing. It's full of, like, like, you know, there was a song I, I, I remember singing when I was a kid, and I'm going to age myself. It, it was, uh, you never promised me a... Okay, this side of the room. Thank you. <laughs> what, what, what did it say? Right? Never promised me a rose garden, along with the sunshine that's going to be a little rain sometimes. That's the way it is. That's the way it is. Now I just aged myself. Amen. Where's my walker? Thank you so much. All right. But, but, but listen to me. It just goes to show you. It just goes to show you that there's going to be moments, right, where things just don't seem right. Listen to me. Don't bail. Don't bail. Stay the course. Stay the course. Allow love to change you. Because let me tell you something. You're your worst enemy. If there are problems, look in the mirror. (laughs) Take a moment. Because in this born-again experience, man, you're still carrying that luggage with you. That attitude don't work. I'm the man of the house. (laughs) Let me sit while you care for this and care for that. No, listen to me. Our wives were taken from our side, not from back here, so that they can be co-inheritors to the kingdom of God. And I'm just talking to the people who are married in this room to understand that. The Bible also talks in marriage about this whole cycle of love and respect. Right? We, We, you know, Women don't have to know how to love. They know how to love. It's inherently in them. It's a maternal instinct that God has given them. That's why God doesn't tell them to love. It tells the husband, love your wife. It tells the wife, respect your husband. Now, a lot of us wind up not getting the respect because we're not following Jesus. That's an important thing. So you get on this crazy cycle and you wonder how you got here. Because I got to tell you something. It's a crazy cycle. You don't know how you get there, but all of a sudden things get really icy at home. And I'm also teaching the people who are single in this room. Because you don't know how to be in a relationship. You don't. You think it's the outward appearance that matters. And what's going to wind up happening is you're going to get this trophy-looking girl, and inside she's going to be rotten and evil and disgusting and psychotic, and you're going to say, how did I get here? Now, it's amazing when you find something that lines up. That's great. I'm not here criticizing beautiful people. I'm not saying that. I'm simply saying that shake the tree to see the fruit that falls before you decide, especially in the church. Ask the person next to you, are you a Christian? 
I don't know. I don't know. Amen? Okay. Again, God is holy. We're the ones to blame. Our sin alienated us from him. Romans 5.10 says that we were enemies of God. For if when we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? When Christ died on the cross, he satisfied God's judgment and made it possible for God's enemies, us, to find peace with him. Our reconciliation to God then involves the exercise of his grace and the forgiveness of our sins. The result of Jesus' sacrifice is that our relationship has changed from enmity to friendship. I no longer call you servants instead. I have called you friends, John 15, 15. Christian reconciliation is a glorious truth. We were God's enemies, but are now his friends. We were in a state of condemnation because of our sins, but we are now forgiven. We were at war with God, but now have peace that transcends all understanding. When you were away from God, when you were far from God, when I say war, it's not this war of, of bloodshed. It's simply that you refuse to honor him. You refuse to live a life that reflected his love for you. And God loves us so much that what he does is constantly reminds us, let me work this out for you. Vengeance belongs to who? The Lord. He'll work it out. Learn how to forgive. But listen to me, and, and this is a gift. I forgive, but I don't forget. I know what got me to that place where I was hurt. So now I have to set boundaries to help me. I forgave you. You know, woe unto me that I allowed that to get that far. To the point where familiarity sometimes breeds contempt. And it's important for us to kind of come to a place in our lives. Yeah, I want to forgive, but you know what? Doesn't mean you coming back home, puppy. Doesn't mean you're getting the keys to the car again. You crashed it four times. It means that we're going to move in a very tenuous and careful way so that we can honor God in the way we're going to go through this. Because here's what I know. I have feelings. I know you're shocked, right? <laughs> I do. I have feelings, and you have feelings. And oftentimes, those feelings are hurt. And what we do naturally, we push them down. And then one moment where the rice ain't right, or the clothes ain't right, or the kid's homework ain't done on time, you blow a casket. Why? Because you stopped it. You know what we do around here? We try to keep short accounts. Anybody know what that is, short accounts? Simple. You offended me? Don't go nowhere. We got to talk. What do you mean? I don't know what you're talking about. I said, listen, man, you did something, and I felt a little awkward when you said it, um, and we need to work this out. And oftentimes, that's all it takes to bring what? Reconciliation. 
reconciliation. She, the new birth in me wants to move into reconciliation. The old life is like, hey, another one off the list. <laughs> I get no Christmas card. That's it. I'm done with that person. That's the old person, right? Out of sight, out of mind. I don't got to deal with you, you know? But as a regenerated person, a born-again person in Christ, I want to honor God in how he's reconciled himself to me, and I want to reconcile with one another. We are ambassadors of reconciliation. Amen?